is a uh, sort of a strange, uh, challenging gospel today. Um, and when I was thinking about it this week, I, I kept coming back to this question that Jesus is laying out for us in really practical terms in the gospel today, how much we're supposed to conform to the world. You know, because he lays out these kind of abstract principles like you live in the world, but don't be of the world. Right? That's kind of vague. Right? But what about in the concrete, in the, in the particular, right? in the practical? How much do I have to conform uh, to the world? And so in this rather strange parable, he lays out, I think, a couple principles uh, that are really, really helpful for us. The first principle is that the believer or the disciple of Jesus may lag behind in street, smart, street smarts compared to the children of the world. This is, should be a compliment, right? Not necessarily something that we see as demeaning, but he, he says that, right? He's, he's explaining the parable. He says, the, the children of this world are more prudent, right, with dishonest wealth than the children of the light. And what I think he's saying there is not that we can't be uh, prudent and uh, successful and things like that. I think what he's saying is that if you're completely immersed in the game, Right, the game of the world. Right, if your whole life is about figuring the ins and outs of how to be successful, if your whole life is figuring out how to use people for your gain, right, if your whole life is about the pursuit of finding as many loopholes and advantages and ways to exploit and manipulate people, then you're going to get pretty good at it. Like you're going to get really good at it. And somebody that's tempered by other things like love of God, love of the poor, right? A desire to follow some sort of ethical uh, understanding of justice. Like that means kind of by necessity, we may not get as good at the game. We may not have the street smarts of someone for whom a spiritual pursuit, ethical concerns, care for the poor are, are, are a priority. Right? So I think it's just an honest recognition, not that we can't be successful, not that we can't learn the ways of the world, but we're going to lag behind in the street smarts just by necessity when we put other things above simply worldly pursuits. The second principle is interesting. I think what Jesus is saying is that for the believer, the disciple of Jesus, we can use things to get to people, but we can't use people to get things. And he says, it's really interesting how he phrases it. He says, um, be, be prudent with how you use dishonest wealth so as to gain a heavenly reward. In other words, the thing that differentiates a person of the world and a follower of Jesus is that the follower of Jesus is willing to use things in order to gain people's salvation. But they're not willing to use people to gain material things. And so we live in the world, so we dabble in dishonest wealth, right? Think about this like collectively, like, like when you donate to the church, like I don't bet too extensively where that money comes from. You know, your donation today could be you're, you're embezzling money from your company and you're throwing it in our collection basket. And I say, we'll take it. <laughs> you know? I don't know. 
and church, we church we have, we don't know where all this wealth comes from, right? Use dishonest wealth for eternal rewards, and the church as a whole kind of has to do this, right? To build up culture, right? To build up faith, to inspire, right? The church has access to money. I was thinking too on a personal level, like. I learned a lot about this principle when I went to Xavier with the Jesuits. The Jesuits are masters at this. Like my, uh, you know, St. John's people, they know this. Um, like in my freshman dorm, there was a Jesuit priest there, an Italian. And every Friday night, he would cook a huge pasta dinner for anyone in the, anyone in the dorm. And he'd have, he'd have bottles of wine. He never asked how old people were that came into these dinners. And so he would fill you up with this incredibly homemade pasta and these bottles of wine. And then by the end of the day, by the end of the night, people would be talking about faith. People that were never stepping foot in the, the Catholic Bellarmine Chapel there on campus. He used things, pasta and wine, right, for spiritual things. I also noticed that uh, the Jesuits at Xavier were famous for only wearing their Roman collar when the parents of the students were around. <laughs> and I may or may not have basically incorporated this into my own priesthood, but they would wear their collar like three days a year. Move-in day, parents' weekend, and graduation. Whenever the parents were there who had the money, they, they used things, the Roman collar, uh, in order to gain... Uh, to gain sort of spiritual things, right? That's how they would see it, right? And so Jesus says you can use dishonest wealth, you don't often know where it comes from, right, for heavenly purposes. I did this kind of last night. You know, I was in Columbus for the Ohio State game, and I went down without a ticket. I said, I'll get into the game somehow, you know, which is what I tend to do. Well, I ended up with a ticket. I have no idea where that ticket came from. In the sense of, it could have been scalped illegally. It could have been, I don't know how I got, I don't even know, I mean, I know how I got the ticket, but I don't know where it came from. But it was for a spiritual purpose. <laughs> this is what I'm telling myself. That's why my voice is a little rough. I yelled a lot when we tied the game at 7-7. Seven, seven. <laughs> I didn't yell much after that, but I yelled a lot at 7-7. Seven, seven. So that's the, the second principle. We can use things to gain people for spiritual the, the spiritual pursuit, but we can't use people to gain things. That's what distinguishes the children of the light from the children of the world. The third principle he lays out is that how you deal with things like money may actually say a lot about how you can deal with the spiritual journey. It says, if you're trustworthy in small matters... You can be trustworthy and big. You might put it this way. If you can't balance your checkbook or your checking account, you're going to struggle with the spiritual life. Now, I think that's really interesting. I think we flip it around. We think, oh, the spiritual stuff, that's kind of easy. But paying my rent and mortgage, that's really tough. But I would suggest to you that you have not then adequately tried to perfect your soul. Have you ever tried, like, have you tried to eliminate all of your vices, big and small? Have you really tried to stop ever talking negatively about other people? 
Have you really tried to forgive all of your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you? Have you given, have you tried to give a significant portion of your income to the poor? Have you tried to love all of your enemies? Have you tried to grow in all the virtues and eliminate all the vices? Have you tried to make a significant uh, commitment to prayer with the Lord? I would say, like, if you're trying to perfect your soul, that is much harder. Much harder than managing your checking account. And Jesus says, if you, if you can't do the small things, you're going to struggle with the big things. That's a, a general principle in life. But I think what he's saying is that if we can't, um, like, we, we feel the crunch of financial things. But do we feel the crunch of growing in holiness, in our love of the poor? Do we feel the crunch that I'm not quite there with these areas of my life? And so the third principle is to see if the way in which we manage the things of the world can be almost a necessary stepping stone for us to be able to grow in the things of the Spirit. And the final principle is that we can't have rivaling, competing claims for what holds ultimate value in our life. You cannot worship both God and man. You cannot worship both God and money. You cannot worship both God and pleasure. You cannot worship both God and honor. You cannot worship both God and power. You can't have rivaling, competing claims to that which is the ultimate center of your life. You will compromise one for the other. If wealth is the primary principle, even though you say you're religious, you will sacrifice and compromise religious faith, ethical norms in order to achieve that. Right? So it's, it's kind of just a simple principle that there has to be one thing right, which is at the absolute center. We can use dishonest wealth, right? but ultimately at the end of the day, something has to be at the ultimate center. That's what uh, Amos is just uh, ripping on uh, some of the Israelites for that they're putting their their financial uh, goals and success ahead of the Sabbath ahead of the care for the poor they're willing to to find loopholes right and to actually exploit and manipulate people for extra financial gain right instead of right seeing love of God and love of neighbor as the center of, of who they are so friends, I, this is a, one of the more interesting parables of Jesus because it's sort of like different than how he normally talks. Um, in some ways, it, I don't know, it, it makes him, he's out of a box in this. It's hard to kind of pin down what he's trying to say, but I, I think he's grappling with really the concrete of like, how do we live in the world but not be of the world? And what does that look like practically? And for him, it looks like um, right? We can't use people. We can use things. Right? These are principles that I think can really be helpful as we strive uh, to grow um, in, our, in our own spiritual lives. To, to be immersed and to dabble in the world as we have to. But at the end of the day, to not be completely of 